You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A school assignment given to a group of 10th graders is raising all kinds of red flags tonight. The worksheet outlined a series of statements and gave students just two ways of answering. It's a right-wing belief or a left-wing belief. John Waugh shows us why it has parents concerned and how the school is reacting. Out on the football field, the line between offense and defense is pretty clear. But inside a Kamloops classroom, an attempt to divide the political left and right has fallen short. He's only texted me twice in class. This is one of those times. Matt DeFau's son, Nolan, sent him a picture of his grade 10 social studies assignment. The worksheet handed out at Valley View Secondary was supposed to help differentiate the views in partisan politics. Question number three was, which person is racist? And the provided right, correct answer was right-wing people. Instead, DeFell says it was a left-leaning lesson meant to shape young minds. You have conservatives or any right-leaning libertarian people being painted as misogynist, racist xenophobes who want to enact a brutal police state that hang people. The Kamloops-Thompson School District is investigating the incident. It is an oversimplification uh, of those very complex ideas, um, which we need to revisit with those students. But there seems to be little dispute the question about racists was wrong. You know, racism knows no political stripe. I think that one caused some uh, concern. Outside of school, students say they weren't comfortable with the worksheet. You can't teach one person's opinion and pretty much tell everybody that this is this is yeah. how everyone should be. I feel like giving us a worksheet like that's not really fair. Basically a teacher saying, this is my opinion, learn it and like it'll be yours too. Yeah. DeFau doesn't want the teacher to be disciplined but thinks this should be a teaching moment. Children need to be taught critical thinking from an unbiased point of view. And while on paper, son Nolan might have gotten the answer wrong, his dad says he's proud of what he wrote down. Who is a racist? He just wrote racists. <laughs> John Hua, Global News. Concerns are being raised tonight about ICBC's new unlisted driver protection fee. That fee, $50, or potentially be liable for thousands if a driver not on the policy crashes. Nadia Stewart tells us why some fear it will result in more drunk drivers on the roads. It is a new ICBC fee that's raising concerns for safety advocates. One they say could deter those trying to help keep BC roads free of impaired drivers. You should be able to pick somebody that's sober, that's not been drinking, to be able to drive your car home that night. Under ICBC's new unlisted driver protection fee, drivers have the option of paying an extra $50 a year, which covers anyone who might drive their car and might get in a crash. Under the old policy, if your friend gets in a crash behind the wheel of your car, it's a blight on your record, and your insurance premiums could go up. Attorney General David Eby says the changes should not be seen as punitive, especially for designated drivers. And if they declare who the person is in advance that's using their car, there's absolutely no fee at all. Um, so there, what, what we're really trying to do is connect uh, driver behavior to insurance rates uh, so that the drivers who are actually causing the accidents pay higher insurance and the drivers who aren't don't have that go on their record. Eby says under the new system and with or without this additional fee, drivers are still better off. Ultimately, the choice still rests with the car's owner to decide whether this is a fee they want to pay. I'm worried that uh, it hasn't come out uh, adequately, and I, I do, I am concerned that uh, the perception 
uh, that there may be an impact uh, could cause people to stop lending out their cars. The change would not take effect until 2019. Between now and then, Rorison says ICBC has an obligation to ensure drivers understand their options and potential consequences of handing over the keys to a designated driver, both with and without the fee. I have to give you the explicit knowledge of what they're offering you to buy. You need to know what you're buying and you need to know all the options. ICBC says there are some exemptions. Mechanics, medical emergencies and services like Operation Red Nose. Nadia Stork, Global News. Audio tapes of a conversation between William Schneider and police were played in court today. Schneider is accused of murder in the death of Japanese student Natsumi Kogawa. Her body was found on the grounds of Gabriola Mansion in Vancouver's West End. And our Grace Key was in court and has more on what was said in court today. Grace. Yeah, those auto recordings did reveal how the two met. That was uh, never made public before. William Schneider, the accused, told police that he and Natsumi uh, Kogawa met at the library. They went on a picnic at Lynn Canyon. He said they had a good time. He told officers she drank beer, but she didn't do drugs. Now, Schneider went on to tell officers, I know this isn't a premeditated thing. No way, especially the comment I made to my wife. Now, Schneider did uh, call his wife on the phone. She lives in Japan. His brother overheard him saying something to the effect of, I did it or I killed her. Schneider went on to say, we met and we continued to meet and then it got very, very heated and then went wrong. When asked what happened, Schneider said, I think it was time, the amount of time we had given each other that day. Now, Kagawa did have another engagement she was supposed to go to later on that day. A toxicologist also took the stand. Now, she did uh, find a couple of medications in Kagawa's system. One was a sedative, the other one an anti-anxiety uh, medication. Now, she said because of the level of decomposition, uh, just how much uh, was in her system is unclear and whether or not that she was possibly under the influence prior to her death is also unclear. Those audio recordings will be uh, playing again tomorrow for the court. Chris? All right. Thank you, Grace. More troubles in Surrey tonight in the run-up to the civic election. The RCMP is already investigating allegations of possible election fraud. And now, as Sarah McDonald reports, hundreds of campaign signs have been taken down. Of all the places you'd expect to see the candidates of Surrey's mayoral race, this likely wasn't one of them. This massive pile of lumber, the latest twist in a civic election campaign that's been full of them. Some 700 signs dismantled by the city. No signs can be within 25 meters of an intersection. After the respective parties failed to do so themselves. Given all candidates uh, 48 hours notice to remove their signs. The city calls this a public safety issue and this rule is nothing new. All those signs planted too close to busy intersections, impacting sight lines and distracting drivers, potentially contributing to accidents like this one, critically injuring this teenage pedestrian during the last municipal campaign in 2014. Fast forward four years and the province's fastest growing city is now dealing with an investigation into election fraud. The deputy chief election officer and I had sufficient cause to suspect unlawful activity associated with the mail ballot voting process. The RCMP already having injected itself for another reason, in the wake of what it calls inaccurate criticism of its force. We want to remain impartial, but we do have a duty to ensure that people have accurate information about our police service. 
Now it's those candidates themselves dealing with a very different optics issue, given until the weekend to clean up their images and reclaim those signs for $25 a piece. They have three days to uh, pick up their signs. After that time, then they'll be discarded. Before they're trashed for good. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Ottawa announced today it will not be appealing the court decision that stopped cabinet approval for the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. Instead, it's committing to a new round of consultation with 117 Indigenous groups. The government says it will address the weaknesses that led to the federal court's decision. We are going to uh, engage in good faith and we're going to engage uh, in a meaningful way in uh, in, uh, in uh, listening very seriously to the concerns that Indigenous groups have identified and they will identify in the consultation. Well, I think uh, having a robust consultation with First Nations is exactly what was ordered by the federal court. I'm gratified to hear that the minister put no time limit on it or predetermined its outcome. That's appropriate. For this project to proceed, it needs the consent, the unqualified consent of all of the First Nations along the pipeline route as well as the uh, Burrard Inlet. Well, Alberta Premier Rachel Notley says she's not happy with Ottawa's refusal to appeal the court ruling, but she understands it's the best way to break the logjam over the multi-million dollar project aimed at getting more Alberta oil to the B.C. coast and markets beyond. It is game day for Canucks fans. The new season bringing new players and many questions about life after the Sedins for the team. Our Aaron MacArthur is live outside Rogers Arena. Some uh, big holes to fill. How's the vibe down there right now? Just about an hour before game time, Aaron. Yeah, things are loud down here anyway. Quite a bit of buzz on the plaza. People excited about the future of this team. Away from the rink, a much different story. People quite a bit more subdued. Fan? I am not. <laughs> Finding a fan harder than it used to be. Are you a Canucks fan? No, I'm not. <laughs> and even when you do run into one, the outlook isn't exactly rosy. I was just watching uh, the uh, the analysis. Uh, you know, plays dead last in the Western Conference and uh, Markstrom to be the worst goalie in the league this year. So. Opening night, though, brings with it a sense of hope. Anything is possible. A new core of players not named Sedin has people talking. Pedersen, uh, Besser, and uh, Horvath. The organization knows full well selling this team to a fickle fan base won't be easy. The Canucks pulling out all the stops for a memorable opening night, including free beer and more entertainment and food choices throughout the season. The fans have responded. We're going to open up tonight with more fans, uh, more season ticket members than we had at the end of last year. And that's the first time in five years we've actually grown our membership base. Okay. So what is your budget, you want to tell me? But for the casual fan, it's a different story. The secondary ticket market as low as it's been since the late 90s. Sports psychologists say fans taking a wait-and-see approach. Everybody likes a winner. So absolutely, if the team does well, suddenly there's going to be more Canuck fans than we had anticipated. It's game one of 82. Hard to call it a must win, but in the fans' eyes, it just might be. Now, we didn't even get into the economics of all of this. The more the team wins, the more the people come down here, the more money they spend. So a winning season from the Canucks 
really important for the economics, uh, the economy of Vancouver. Back to you guys. And our general mood as well. All right, thanks, Aaron. All right, right now, with flu season upon us, you may have heard those ads for a new high-dose flu shot for seniors that promises even better protection than the standard shots. Linda Aylesworth talked to the BC Centre for Disease Control to find out if the extra out-of-pocket cost is really worth it. Here's something you've probably never seen before. The BC Centre for Disease Control's refrigerated vaccine warehouse. BCCDC uh, purchases and warehouses and distributes about 1.5 million doses uh, every year of the influenza vaccine. And with flu season just around the corner, that makes this the busiest time of year. So how are things shaping up so far? Early indications so far, we're not picking up much in the way of influence. It's quite early, but you may be surprised that last year we had about five to ten times the number of detections already. The last few years were particularly bad, especially in care facilities, where the H3N2 influenza virus hit elderly residents hard. As for this year... What I'm hoping is that the immunity that our population has acquired will help keep H3N2 at bay. That's potentially good news, but no reason not to get vaccinated, especially those at high risk of complications. Elderly individuals, uh, for people of any age with underlying uh, chronic conditions, um, and for the very young. For those groups, influenza vaccines are supplied free of charge. But there's also a high-dose vaccine for those over 65 that is not covered by the province. Individuals may wish to avail themselves of that high-dose vaccine, but I, I think they should be aware of the marginal increase in protection. How much protection? Let's say 5% of the unvaccinated elderly population, that would be 10 out of 200 people, got the flu. If they all received the standard vaccine, then about 5 out of 200 would get sick. If instead they all received the high-dose vaccine, then roughly 4 out of 200 would get sick. That, along with the fact that the high-dose vaccine costs five times more than the standard one, is why the province is not funding it. It's just that that increase in protection is not commensurate with the increase in cost that we would be facing. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Well, there is no shortage of places to get the flu shot, including your doctor, drop-in clinics, and almost all drugstores. There's also an extensive list of people who can get the shot for free, including children between six months and five years, pregnant women, seniors, 65 years and over, and anyone living in a group facility. You can find a link to the full list on our website, globalnews.ca. Well, the new trade deal between Canada, the U.S. and Mexico is being billed, generally speaking, as a win for all three countries. The Okanagan wine industry is a little concerned. As Global Okanagan's Claudia Van Emmerich reports, they are worried it could affect the number of B.C. wines on those new grocery store shelves. It's harvest time at Summerland's Saxon Winery. The family-owned winery is small, producing only 2,000 cases of wine annually. But it's grown in popularity ever since its wines started being sold here in grocery stores three years ago. It was huge. Savon gave us access to other towns, Prince George, 
Kamloops, Kelowna, all over. According to the BC Wine Institute, in 2017, grocery stores were responsible for the sale of 1 million bottles of BC wine. 39% of those bottles came from small wineries like this one. For Saxon, those kinds of grocery wine sales have the winery expanding. I think we can possibly double our our volumes here. We are working with another winery to expand our operation to 5,000 cases. With that kind of momentum, the winery is keeping a cautious eye on the new trade deal between the U.S. and Canada, which will force grocery stores to also sell imported wines, not just B.C. ones. Graydon hopes it doesn't result in B.C. wines being pulled from the shelves to make room for the imports. I suspect wine and I will expand to accommodate international products rather than contract what is already there. While Graydon says it's too early to predict what the impact may be, he's counting on consumer support. It just means that the local buyer has to decide what he wants to support, international products or local products. Claudia Van Emmer, Global News, Summerland. Residents of a community near Oliver who were forced out of their homes for two months by last spring's floods are worried about their future if the province doesn't take action. During the peak of those floods, a raging creek carved a new route through the center of properties in Sportsman's Bowl. Residents say not only has that cut them off from some of their property, they're worried that if the government doesn't divert the creek back to its original route, they could be flooded out again in the future. We can't spend the resources to protect our property like this every year when this could be repaired, mitigated, moved. The Ministry of Transportation and Infrastructure says while it's restoring the main road, the future location of the creek is still undecided. We have an officer down at this time. One South Carolina police officer is dead. Six others are injured after they were shot while executing a search warrant in the community of Florence. A suspect surrendered to police after a negotiation. Some of the officers who survived are said to be in serious condition. A massive coalition of U.S. Christian churches attended by 40 million people is calling on Brett Kavanaugh to withdraw his Supreme Court nomination. The National Council of Churches says Kavanaugh disqualified himself by displaying a lack of temperament during last week's hearing. And Donald Trump not making things any easier for the Republicans by mocking Kavanaugh's accuser at a rally. Tonight, just 48 hours ahead of a possible vote and with top Republicans saying they expect to receive the FBI's completed background investigation as early as tonight. NBC News is learning more about that investigation and that it remains significantly limited in scope, according to a senior U.S. official and two other sources briefed on the investigation. Agents have spoken to Brett Kavanaugh's high school friend Mark Judge and the two witnesses Christine Blasey Ford says were at the alleged party where she says she was sexually assaulted by Kavanaugh, as well as a second accuser, Deborah Ramirez. Kavanaugh vigorously denies both allegations. And now we've learned the FBI has also interviewed at least one other high school classmate of Kavanaugh. But current and former FBI officials tell NBC News dozens of other people have come forward saying they have information on Kavanaugh. But the sources say agents have not been permitted to talk to many of them. Meanwhile, President Trump is further alienating the very Republican senators he needs to support his Supreme Court pick. I don't approve of the comments from last night. I thought that they were wrong and uh, 
extraordinarily unfortunate. The president's comments were just plain wrong. It's just not right. It's just not right. I wish he hadn't have done it. Um, uh, just to say it's it's kind of appalling. That fierce backlash in response to these comments from the president last night, mimicking Ford to his supporters' delight. How did you get home? I don't remember. How'd you get there? I don't remember. Where is the place? I don't remember. How many years ago was it? I don't know. I don't know. What neighborhood was it in? I don't know. Where's the house? I don't know. Upstairs, downstairs, where was it? I don't know. But I had one beer. That's the only thing I remember. The president's sudden shift in tone just days after he praised for. And she looks like a very fine woman to me. Very fine woman. But certainly she was a uh, very credible witness. White House officials are challenging criticism that last night the president was mocking Ford's account of her alleged sexual assault. Excuse me, she's been treated like a Fabergé by all of us, beginning with me and the president. He's pointing out factual inconsistencies. It seemed to me that he was stating facts that Dr. Ford herself uh, laid out in her testimony. Southern Alberta still digging out from yesterday's historic fall snowstorm and now worried about the big melt. In Calgary, where parts of the city got 45 centimeters of snow, crews from as far away as Edmonton have been brought in to help clear the roads. They're now worried about flooding as all that snow melts. The city asking people to clear storm drains. The region's highways have been reopened, including the route where as many as 30 vehicles were involved in a pileup that killed one man. Well, the snow fell faster than they could remove it, and that's in a region that gets a lot of it every year. Yeah, hundreds of people spent a long, cold night stranded in their vehicles by a storm that crippled travel in southern Alberta. A report is from Global Calgary. Taylor Warwick is playing host for longer than expected. She was taking her mom from Banff to the airport Tuesday when a snowstorm caused this roadblock. After Canmore, we hit dead flats. And then that's when we just stopped. Hundreds of other drivers sat still for hours. Some even ended up in the ditch as severe weather forced the shutdown of an eastbound stretch of Highway 1 near Canmore. The town set up a shelter at this high school. The mayor says it took in more than 300 stranded drivers. When something like that happens in town, we have trained and dedicated personnel that are ready to put themselves out there at a moment's notice. Other drivers headed to this gas station near Dead Man's Flats. They were looking for, you know, food. They were looking for coffee. They want to go to washroom. Bork and her mom eventually made it back to Banff after 14 hours on the highway. They had no food or water. They were even running out of gas and say they never saw an emergency responder. We were out there for 14 hours and no one checked up on us. We took it into our own hands. It's also responsibility of the motorists as well. I mean, they knew the highways were going to get bad, the weather was going to get bad. Uh, it's that time of year when you should have your snow tires on, you should be uh, ready for these kind of situations. Alberta RCMP are using this situation to remind drivers to check on both highway and weather conditions before hitting the road. Mother Nature has delivered another blow to Sulawesi Island in Indonesia, which was struck by twin disasters last week. A volcano has erupted, spewing ash more than 6,000 meters into the air. So far, no evacuations have been ordered. Officials say it is possible the eruption was triggered by the powerful earthquake that struck the island on Friday. That quake also spawned a tsunami. Those two disasters have so far claimed more than 1,400 lives. In Health Matters tonight, a new study by Montreal researchers has some more troubling findings about teens and pot use. After tracking the substance use of nearly 4,000 adolescents, 
Not surprisingly, they found that both alcohol and marijuana use is linked to lower cognitive performance. But heavier marijuana users have even more pronounced and lasting problems with learning, memory and decision making skills. More evidence that cutting out processed red meats is best for your health. New research tonight shows a link between things like bacon and sausage and the risk of cancer. Angela Thomas was diagnosed with breast cancer two years ago. The 34-year-old is now cancer-free and says she's made major lifestyle changes. After my diagnosis, um, it was more of a priority to start incorporating more greens with every meal. Um, I kind of started to cut out all um, processed meat. New research in the International Journal of Cancer looks at 15 previous studies and finds eating processed meats is associated with a nearly 10% higher breast cancer risk. When we look at the evidence altogether is that there's an increased risk for breast cancer with high consumption of processed meats. Processed meats like bacon, ham, sausage and deli meats including turkey are altered to improve flavor and preservation. In 2015, the World Health Organization classified processed meat as a carcinogen because studies show it can increase risk for colorectal and potentially stomach cancers. Study author Dr. Mariana Stern at USC's Keck School of Medicine says avoiding processed meats is key and red meat should be limited to about 18 ounces per week. To limit the consumption of alcohol and to uh, increase the consumption of fruits and vegetables. Angela grew up in Louisiana eating a meat-heavy diet. She's now trying to convince friends and family to make changes. Once you get new information and knowledge, you want to share so that you're not doing the journey alone. Angela hopes her choices will keep her cancer from coming back. Robert Gray, CBS News, Los Angeles. A waterfront boardwalk and park, a covered market, even a pub. Those could soon be part of the BC Ferries experience on Vancouver Island. The Ferry Corp is floating some new ideas for making the Swartz Bay Terminal more enjoyable for the 7 million passengers that pass through there every year. Kylie Stanton reports. There's a cafe, vending machines, an ATM, even a play area for children. What more could you want in a ferry terminal? Turns out, quite a bit. I think it should have a lot more amenities. More shopping, more food, drink choices. Those things could soon become a reality here. After months of public consultation, BC Ferries is moving into its final phase of planning, creating a draft terminal development plan for the second busiest hub in the network. There have been ideas around green spaces, ideas around differing food vendors and, and more options. Phase one was launched this past summer where customers were asked to give their vision for the terminal. Phase two narrowed those ideas down, which included a pub, basketball courts, better Wi-Fi and cycling facilities. By the end of the year, a detailed plan is expected to be released. It's still a draft. We still need to move into a detailed design process in which we will go back out into the community and ask for more feedback before we roll into construction. That's not expected to get underway until 2021. And because it's still in the early stages, there's no budget at this time. But at the very least, passengers are hoping the terminal is brought up to the same standards as others of its size. I really like the Tawasin. It's just more updated, modern. 
um, better selection, place to get in out of the weather when it's not nice. While any kind of improvements here seem to be welcome, generally speaking, passengers don't want to spend a whole lot of time in the terminal. They'd rather get on the boat and get where they're going. So the question remains what kind of investment is being made into the vessels themselves that can often break down and leave people stranded for hours. You know, uh, reliability is going to be almost 100%. You know, you got to have a plan B and a backup plan. BC Ferries is in the midst of a 12-year, $3 billion capital plan. The addition of five new vessels is on the books, but it will be a while yet before they're on the water. For now, Sports Bay passengers can at least look forward to the day they can wait in a better terminal. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. A burglar with a brick. What could possibly go wrong? Well, you'll find out right after the forecast. Earlier we showed you some of that crazy winter weather in uh, Calgary. Turns out the southeastern portion of our province got the same system with uh, similar results. Christy's here with some of the details. That's right, 15 to 20 centimeters in that southeastern corner. So this is Invermeer this morning. Uh, beautiful winter wonderland there. The Elk Valley region also got hit. And it's the same storm that hit the Caribou region yesterday. This is what they woke up to in the 100 Mile uh, Ranch area. Beautiful. I mean, this is sensational with the sunshine coming out. Perfect snowmaking weather. Thanks to Steve for that shot. So, yes, in behind the snowstorm, we cleared out. Temperatures plummeted, though, and we broke eight records across the province. Record lows, though. Clinton, minus 14 was the coldest. Prince George, minus 12. Uh, Quinella, minus 8. And in YVR, we also broke a record, dropping down to uh, 1.6 degrees. And that blew past a record from 1937. And tonight will be cold as well. Now, you saw in that shot in the Caribou region, that high-level cloud, Sun was able to filter its way through in some areas, but really was overcast right across the province. That is going to clear out overnight. One of the reasons why temperatures are going to drop. You can see the clearing off in the distance there, and we are hoping for that across our region. So sunshine tomorrow, but it will be chilly to start with. Allison Pass right now looking good, but we do have a chance of flurries there uh, through the evening and overnight hours, and Rogers Pass also a chance of flurries tonight and through the day tomorrow. But most areas across the north cold and clear now tonight expect the lows closer to minus eight in some areas and then down through the south we'll see lows ranging from about zero to five degrees depending on your location still showers in the columbia region and that's why we have the flurries expected for rogers pass meanwhile the south coast will cool off to four degrees so not quite as cold as what we saw last night or early this morning but it certainly will be chilly sunshine in the afternoon not warming up much at all. A slight chance of a shower on Friday. I'm not convinced we're going to see that yet though. And then uh, mostly dry for the next couple of days. Best chance of showers will be towards the end of our long weekend. Some I had to pick two weather windows tonight because this one was so spectacular. Normally you see that shot without the leaves in the wintertime and this beautiful shot from Saratoga Beach. Thanks to Bob for that. So yeah, there you go. Two photos. Great colors. An embarrassment of riches really is. in the weather window department. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Christy. Police in Maryland are looking for a burglar who's provided us with a little comic relief tonight at his own expense. Yeah, surveillance video shows him trying to throw a brick through a window for the third time, which is definitely not the charm. Turns out the glass is brick-proof. It's actually bulletproof, but you get the picture. It bounces off the window and then right back into his head. Oh. You see him fall to his knees. He tries to pick the brick up again, but mm-mm. better oh, no. lay down and have a rest. Oh, jeez. 
He did stay there for a few minutes and ended up getting up and leaving, but... You have to go in a concussion protocol now. Concussion protocol. <laughs> he won't be able to rob anything until he gets out of concussion protocol. That's oh, right. the poor guy. So is that three months yeah. longer? If you're if you're a dumb criminal like that, you should actually get twice the sentence. <laughs> <laughs> that is Just you normally get you two years, yourself. but we're going to give you four and put you in a cell. Yeah, padded walls. Padded so you don't hurt yourself. Real pricks. All right, Rogers Arena. We'll be rocking again tonight. Uh, yes, and then if they lose, it'll <laughs> well be somber. Give the benefit of the doubt right it's only now. Game one. It's only game one. Don't get all excited after game one. Uh, it's no longer about Daniel and Henrik. Now the Canucks revolve around Brock and Bo and Elias and Quinn Hughes to be added next season. It's a team in transition, one nobody really expects to make the playoffs. It's a learning year for the young players. But even though everyone within Rogers Arena knows that deep down inside who is employed by the Canucks, they still believe. They believe that they're as much a playoff contender right now as anyone. I want to win every game. When we go into every game, it is, we are preparing and, and expect to win. Which does put the Canucks themselves in the minority because most don't expect that many wins from them this year. They are starting this season without two of their best players from last year. And they're starting after a preseason, which was an exhibition of all their issues. Most notably, lack of scoring. It doesn't have to be, you know, blow games, but, you know, if we can win, you know, 2 1 or, you know, close games, I think that's big for us. What is also big is that this team learns in the games where it loses. The core group is as young as it's been in years, and they all know they're a part of the future, a future that could be quite bright if everyone reaches their potential. You know, it's a transition to a, a new era, and, um, you know, you can see the, the amount of young guys in the room. So, you know, we're trying to build that culture, and, um, you know, we have to play the right way to have the success that we want to have. Makes a move, centers the puck, Horvath scores! Uh, I think our, our work ethic and our compete level is, is going to be high every single night, and it's going to give ourselves a chance to win, and I think that's what we got to have as our identity. Of all the Canucks this season, none will be watched closer than Elias Pettersson. A lot of hopes rest on his slender shoulders, but he was a bright spot in the preseason. He showed no fear, no fear of a smaller rink, of bigger opponents, and a faster game. Pedersen shoots, toe saved by Talbot. You know, arguably, you could say he's been our one of our best players. He has been, but uh, things are going to ramp up tonight. It's a different, the, the pace and the intensity of, of preseason is a lot different than regular season. And uh, we'll take it a game at a time with him, but he's, he's been good so far. And because now everyone is playing for keeps, Pedersen will be facing both the Flames and his own nerves tonight. I would be surprised if I'm not nervous tonight, so I will probably be probably some nervous tonight, but hopefully it goes away after the first shift. The first shift of what the Canucks are all calling the start of a new era. Now, Elias Peterson or Pedersen isn't the only player who will have a lot of people watching his NHL debut in this game. So will the Flames' Dylan Dubé, a star for the Kelowna Rockets and Team Canada at this year's World Juniors. He's a golden boy, literally. He's from Golden, B.C. So starting his career in Vancouver makes this night extra special. I think it's good. Uh, I think it's a good place to be. I think it's easy for family to get to, or parents to come and build to come. It's close there. Uh, Big Canucks fans, so I think they're getting any chance to come watch them. But uh, 
I think it's going to be exciting. I've been around Vancouver, playing with Kelowna, and kind of know the city, so it uh, couldn't be a really better place to start uh, my career. Is it going to be tough to take the big smile off your face and put the game face on? Yeah, no, I think I want to keep the smile on the whole game. I think that's the, the part of it. i got to remember it and have lots of fun with it, so it's exciting, and you know, I don't know how my pregame nap will be. I kind of want to just get to 7 o'clock, but hopefully it doesn't go too fast. I can really enjoy it. The Canucks, getting back to them, the uh, players decided to ban anyone who was playing the online game Fortnite on road trips. All video games for that matter. They don't want them to play them on road trips. But through unidentified sources, we have found out that the game's Parcheesi and Hungry Hungry Hippos are still allowed. This is an all-out effort to get the Canucks to bond more on the road. They don't want guys locked away in their hotel rooms playing Fortnite. And it's a move the coach had absolutely nothing to do with, but does understand. I think this is simply players trying to bond as a team and have some dinners on the road, and it's been blown out of context. I am, my kid plays Fortnite, and I have not banned it from him, and I'm not banning it from anyone on our team. And if the players want to make sure that all the guys are at a team dinner, hey, that's... That's the way it is in team sports, and, and I'm fine with that. I don't think it's an issue, and it's nothing that I even need to think about at all. Now before this game, the Capitals found out Tom Wilson suspended 20 games for a dangerous hit in the preseason, but he is a repeat, 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 repeat offender. So 20 games, maybe he'll get the message. 24 seconds in, and TJ Oshie scores for the champs. One nothing, And apparently, Alex Ovechkin has gotten over his hangover, and he still has the shot. I've never seen anybody enjoy a Stanley Cup win quite like Ovechkin. Look at the bend in that stick. Just like he bent elbows throughout the summer celebrating the win. 6 nothing in the third, Washington over Boston. There he is, John Tavares. Will he bring the cup home? To Toronto. Well, let's see. What has he got here? Tavares with moves. Mm. And a goal. Late third. Habs Leafs tied 2-2. There you go. All right. Thanks, Squire. You're welcome. You're the start of something special. All right. Thanks very much, And we'll never hear the end of it if it is. That's true. So the French gangster who made international headlines by escaping from prison in a hijacked helicopter is back behind bars. The notorious armed robber captured three months after the dramatic jailbreak, which was actually the second time he had escaped custody. French police tonight put out this photo to prove they finally had their man, Redouan Faïd. France's most wanted and most elusive criminal taken down inside this disheveled fifth-floor apartment in his hometown outside Paris. The challenge now, how to keep him in custody. The bank robber is a Houdini of jailbreaks. Three months ago, accomplices kidnapped a helicopter pilot, forcing him to fly into a prison yard. Men in black using power tools to break Faid out. Fellow inmates cheering as the chopper whisked him away to a nearby getaway car, later found torched. It was his second escape. Faid has said he's a fan of American gangster movies. We're here for the bank's money, not your money. That he's watched the robbery scenes in heat a hundred times for ideas. French police say in his hideout, they found multiple cell phones, wigs, and burkas to disguise his identity. Tonight, he's locked up again under what police say is extremely tight surveillance. Richard Engel, NBC News.
I don't understand. If you break out of jail, mm -hmm. why don't you go far away from where you broke out of the jail? It makes travel travel is expensive. Squire. It is expensive, yeah. And maybe his bank robbery wasn't as successful <laughs> as we thought. Right. Didn't have the money. Uh, hey, do you want to do the shout out? We mm -hmm. should do the shout out. Um, one of our own is expanding his family. Our talented shooter editor Kevin Church and his wife Michelle welcomed their first baby, Leah Nicole, yesterday, 5:35 p.m. Nice. So during Global National, Leah is seven pounds ten ounces. There she is. Everyone is happy and healthy. Congratulations. She's got her own toque already. Nice. I remember when our kids were that little, you couldn't believe how small they were compared to those seatbelts. Yeah, and now? <laughs> now? <laughs> Babies come with hats. That's right here. And the stork brings them, too. <laughs> Have a good night, folks.